Is It Transphobic? will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, so we recorded this episode uh, prior to social distancing, prior to any knowledge, uh, or at least widespread knowledge of coronavirus, COVID-19, etc., etc., and uh, so we don't acknowledge it in this, uh, but, you know, we, we definitely talk about a lot of uh, genetics, we talk a lot about um, being susceptible to disease, so if that is something that you're just trying to avoid now, uh, completely understand, maybe come back to this once uh, everything comes back to a certain sense of normalcy, whatever that looks like in the future. Uh, but that said, I'm really excited to talk to my friend Hillary. Uh, while we were trying to figure out Skype, there are a lot of moments that I've had to cut down on because essentially with Skype, we were experiencing a little bit of a lag. So uh, I would have to, so one of us would probably start talking and then the other one would kind of start talking over so we just had to do a lot of uh, creative cutting uh, that said Hillary wanted me to play a clip uh, of what she was saying uh, that I will play in just a moment just because uh, she is relying on a lot of knowledge that she has had throughout the years but at the same time is not necessarily something that she is working on right now so this is that clip just as a little bit about my background. Um, I've kept that ASCP certification current, but I am going to be pulling from knowledge from my most recent previous job. Um, I've actually made a career change recently to occupational therapy, which I'm excited about. That said, we're going to talk a lot about uh, genetics. We're going to talk a lot about chromosomes. And also, we're going to talk about ourselves, because I think what a lot of people are coming to with this podcast nowadays are realizing is that uh, a lot of what we're doing is not necessarily just core media analysis. We're talking about larger things. We're talking about larger subjects. We're talking about larger issues. And as a result, I want to start talking more about the people. I want to start, start talking more about who we are and so the personal absolutely has a lot to do with our discussion. So Hillary and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, how we know each other. And I do think that that's as much a part of this as much as the science, as much as the idea of what chromosomes are. And uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't know the first thing about science anything. So uh, everything that Hillary says is just amazing and wonderful. And I, I'm, I'm so in awe about her knowledge uh but yeah like as a as a sort of scratching the surface interview i'm very very excited about it so thank you so much enjoy the episode hi everyone my name is ashley lauren rogers i'm the creator and the producer of the is a transphobic podcast i use she her and they them pronouns and today i'm being joined by hillary and a um longtime friend of ashley's hi everyone Awesome. So, uh, Hillary, uh, first and foremost, like, I, I kind of wanted to start by talking about how we know each other. Like, we, we yeah. went to, yeah, but like, I don't know if you want to jump in first, because I, but yeah, 
I just wanted to say, like, yeah, we're good friends. We've known each other for a while. Oh, geez. Well, feel free to jump in. <laughs> but mm-hmm. we first met because your wife, Diana, was my resident advisor my first year of college. I remember being, you know, kind of a lost little first year, and you and Diana were super nice and let me watch anime with you and all sorts of other silly fun stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so my so you went to my wife's college. I came over all the time because you know I was in love with this person, and <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, it was a lot of fun. You, I remember like we bonded a lot over our love of JRPGs. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, the other the other big thing that I wanted to bring up is yeah, you were in uh, my wedding and you helped me get yeah. into my dress. So yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a person I'm bringing this person in. Uh, I'm this person, this person who I'm talking to right now. I'm bringing <laughs> this person who's here. My friend, my friend Hillary, who is not a hypothetical person, who is a real person, uh, onto the show. Specifically, there are a couple of reasons I'm bringing you on. Uh, yes. Like, first off, like the main reason that I'm bringing you on is because of your expertise and the things that you know and what you have studied and worked towards. Like, that's the major reason I wanted you on the podcast. And I know we've talked about sharing that in in this way for a long time so i'm excited yeah this has been partially it's just because of tech uh we are very far away from each other uh i have been very reticent to try and start doing recordings with people outside of uh like outside of just having them in the space so Mm -hmm. it's also just me venturing out of my my professional comfort zones uh because i really wanted you on this podcast (laughs) well thank you very much for you know getting out of your comfort zone on my behalf. I appreciate it. So it's been kind of an unspoken rule and I might break this rule later, who knows, but like it's been an unspoken rule that I don't really bring guests on for a main episode unless they identify as trans or non-binary yes. in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but when we were talking you a, a while ago, you had brought up that you had brought up something and I will just let you talk about this in whatever capacity you feel like and you feel comfortable. So I know we went back and forth about being on the podcast because I do have that expertise in genetics. Um, but we were kind of, we had a long conversation about identity, I remember. And I have what's classified as a pretty mild version of Turner syndrome, which does at least on the genotypic level place me pretty squarely in the intersex bucket. And I remember talking with you a little bit about how that's true, but I generally all my life identified strongly she, her, female mm-hmm. on the gender side of the the spectrum. But yeah, and I, I also just want to note to our listeners that uh, one can, A, be intersex or have intersex characteristics, uh, and there is a wide spectrum of that as well, but one can be intersex or have intersex characteristics and not necessarily be trans or non-binary. But also, that does not mean that if one is intersex that they can't be trans or non-binary. Yes, it it's a, a very interesting spectrum genetically, which is basically why I'm here and what we're going to get into 
all of yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm excited. So now that we've talked about that, because I also don't want people to be like, oh, a reveal. It's like, no, 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 this wasn't a reveal. It's like, let's just talk about like all the things first. And then we're going to talk about, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're talking about genetics. We're talking about chromosomes. We're talking about uh, a lot of things that you have a history working in. So can you tell our listeners yes. a little bit about your history and like your history professionally and sort of what what you have actually been studying and what you've been working on? Yeah, sure. So the main reason I'm here is back back when you all first met me, um, I was working toward my undergrad degree, which was in biology with kind of a subspecialty in genetics. Um, so that was the first step. And then after graduation, I decided that what I wanted to do with that was get into testing on the clinical side of things um, as a job. So I spent another year and a half doing coursework mostly to focus on those lab techniques and things like that and had to take my professional certification exam. Uh, technically, I'm ASCP, American Society of Clinical Pathology, certified as in molecular biology, which means I can do DNA testing well, and other molecular level testing. Um, mm. But the specific site where I was working for about four years was a genetics lab in Boston, where they did a variety of testing clinically for a variety of genetic disorders. Um, they did some DNA sequencing. Mostly what I did, um, you correctly remembered when we were speaking before the <laughs> podcast, is what I was testing for was major chromosomal abnormalities that you can see without sequencing. A lot of the major sex chromosome abnormalities that cause some of the intersex traits that you mentioned um, fall into that category. And now when you say sequencing, just because mm -hmm. I, I honestly don't know what that means, but I've heard it in movies, I've heard it in media. <laughs> what What is sequencing? <laughs> so DNA sequencing. So typically in your cells, DNA exists in a very, very condensed form, right? Because there's a lot of it. There are tons and tons and tons of base pairs that read off all the proteins that your body needs. So it's usually very, very condensed. So what sequencing means is that you are kind of teasing that out and reading one base pair of your DNA at a time in sequence. Whereas what I did was more on a slightly higher level where we looked at chromosomes, which are special versions of that condensed DNA, where you can see kind of like where bigger chunks of genetic material are missing, but you're not going base pair by base pair one at a time. Mm. Okay. Now, I think the, the big question that my listeners are going to want to know the answer to is, so does that mean that you can clone dinosaurs? <laughs> I remember you asking me that several times. I mean, um, I know the answer to this, but our <laughs> audience doesn't. <laughs> Did I ever pull the whole, like, I, I theoretically understand the process, but I don't think I should. <laughs> so it's not that you can't, it's that you shouldn't. Yes. Got it. You're doing the thing that uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm said uh, correctly, which is they, you, you are in fact following what he is he's trying to say, which is that you asked, uh, you asked, could you? But then you asked, should you? And said, mm, probably not. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> so since we brought up Dr. Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, I'm curious if there is any media that you've consumed that represents, whether accurately or poorly, uh, the field that you uh, have worked in and the field that you are currently working in. Oh, boy. 
there's a whole range, to be honest. I, I love to talk about them more and provide a reading list. Mm. <laughs> I'm trying to think think about it. I mean, usually, usually they have it right on some level, but then there's some level of detail that's either missing or a little bit inaccurate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like there's only so much that you can understand as someone who's just like picking it up and reading books as opposed to actually devoting time to learning learning it, right? Well, I mean, like, that could be, but also there's only a certain level of it that, you know, functions in your fiction, I think, as mm. part of it, too. You you know, you can utilize it up to a certain level, but it's important that everything in your story is cohesive, so you don't want to, I don't know, burden yeah. it too much with detail, I think, in a lot of cases, so. Yeah, and I think especially with fiction, you want to make sure that you're building the world enough, but at a certain point, especially because it's fiction, fiction, it's just like, well, at some point, I've just got to tell an interesting story, or I'm just going to write a book of nonfiction about gene sequencing. Chromosomes, which yeah, actually, but... that, that that is a book I read fairly recently, actually. Um, a, is it a book named Chromosomes, or is it a book wait, or, that I was describing that started it's, off as the name. <laughs> I will find it for you so you can give out the information if you'd like, but it's, it really does have a very simple name like that. And it's nonfiction with a story about either a disorder or something about that gene for each gene. So it's got a chapter for each chromosome pair. It's pretty interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Huh? Yeah. So the, the other reason that I wanted to bring you on here and talk about chromosomes, and we talked about this a little bit, Mm-hmm. Chromosomes, they tend to be on the forefront of a lot of people's minds when it comes to describing the sex assigned at birth, the sex assigned yes. at birth. Yes. Like, so can you, basically, can you tell us what chromosomes actually are? And do you know why people would focus on them so much? I, I've been thinking about this a little bit. So um, let me just start by giving a quick explanation of chromosomes and kind of how things work that gets us to this point where there are a focal point in this discussion about gender. Mm. And then and then I'll explain a, l- a little bit about why I think that is. Chromosomes, like I started to talk about before, are super condensed pairs of DNA during cell division. And basically all of your genetic information is contained in those pairs. And each of them has slightly different different information um, when when there's cell division and there are those pairs you might have different versions slightly different versions of a gene called alleles and usually you'll pass one of the two copies that you have on a lot of the information for what are considered sex characteristics is what they've traditionally been called but you know those mm. gender identifying characteristics things like that are on your x or y chromosome and mm. they are they're basically usually when you do a karyotype, which is when you see those 46 chromosomes and a little spread, they look like little X's really. Um, when you see those little bits of condensed DNA in a spread, they are usually one kind of one of the smaller and last pairs that you see, mm. especially if you're male and have a, well, we'll get into it. You don't necessarily need yeah. to identify as male, but if you have a Y chromosome, mm. it's the smallest. Mm. <laughs> so... And now is there, like, because I'm, I, like, I will freely admit, I know so little about chromosomes. And we have to, like, especially as trans folk, we have to be, like, when people are like, oh, it's this or that. Just like, all right, well, I guess I've got to become a freaking master of 
chromosomes now because people are using that against us. A master of chromosomes. I'm a master of chromosomes. But yeah, like so what like so when we're talking about that, like and we're gonna get very one oh one. Um so is it because of the way that they look that they were dubbed X and Y, like based on the way that they're they're visual? Mm. Yeah, it's a little bit visual, I would say, because the the Y chromosome is typically a little bit shorter. Usually when they're these superhuman forms or pairs, when they're linked, they all look like X's, but since the Y is smaller, it kind of looks like you have an X and a Y. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Cool. Okay. So the, the reason I think they're saying it's it's either X or Y is because when you're looking at that at that karyotype, mm-hmm. it's you do typically see you know, either two copies of the X or the X and the Y, but that is not always the case. And we'll get into several exceptions. Yeah. For those, I was going to say for those, for those that uh, don't normally, for those that do normally listen to the podcast, I like, this is a little bit different. I, I wrote out all of my questions because I was like, all right, we want to make sure we got this covered. Um, So there's a bunch of stuff that we'll we'll be covering a little bit later, and even then, if we get to the a lot earlier, that's totally fine too. Uh, I don't mind mixing and matching my little uh, notepad. But yeah, let's so let's talk a little bit more about X and Y. We started talking about that a little bit, like mm-hmm. this idea of uh, these combinations, because most people, when they when they make these assumptions when they make these uh bold these bold statements it's oh you only have xy or xx uh chromosomes and that's it and that's that's not that's not true right (laughs) no (laughs) i mean definitely not because other other combinations exist yeah in addition to holding a lot of the you know kind of gender identifying information and genes they don't actually have a lot of genetic information they have less genetic information that's like integral to your body functioning Mm. so usually if you have more or less of the genetic information on that x or y chromosome like say an extra copy Mm -hmm. of x or you're missing an x you you survive Mm. you're it's more non-lethal than other major chromosomal abnormalities Mm. which means like you said, other combinations are possible. And in fact, what I alluded to earlier with me kind of falling into the, the intersex bucket is I'm missing about a quarter of the information on one of my X chromosomes. Mm. And now you, you mentioned that there, there are some of these combinations that uh, could be potentially dangerous. Uh, like, is there an example that you can think of right now of like, uh, a chromosomal, uh, and, and correct me if I'm using the wrong term too, but a chromosomal uh, a combination that could be potentially dangerous uh, if we're looking at it, like as a as a doctor saying like, hey, we want to watch out because this could lead to something physically later. Well, I'll give you an example with the X and Y chromosomes. You're not going to have all the genetic information you need if you have two Ys. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Do you know, like, just because now I'm now I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> like, why why is why is that? <laughs> um, because yeah, it, and that's actually in the book that I mentioned earlier a little bit. They talk about kind of chromosome level genetic competition between those two chromosomes. So X just happens to have a little bit more. It's a little bit meatier in terms of the number of genes mm-hmm. it has, and it has some genes, and this is probably part of it. But I'm kind of speculating here. 
just to let everyone know. It has some genes that control your general growth and metabolism. How often do combinations that are not XX or XY show up? Uh, and you don't necessarily have to know uh, a specific amount. I'm just kind of getting a rough idea. Yeah. So I actually pulled up some examples. Um, and, and this will vary a little bit. When you're talking about DNA and chromosomes, mm. you can be missing different amounts of genetic information, right? Mm. And this is this is kind of where I personally think the you either have X and Y or you don't. Or you, is it, you're either XY or XX complete. End of story mm. <laughs> a little bit because mm. you can have mm. all sorts of changes in those genes, micro deletions. They're, they're not fixed. But examples of incidents. So some of the common configurations, Kleinfelter syndrome, which is one per 576 from what I'm seeing. And there's an XYY combination that's one per 851. Mm. And then Turner syndrome, which is one X or one plus part of the second. Uh, is typically one per 2,130. Not quite as rare as you would expect. Mm. I th I yeah. Wow. So, and just to just to bring this up as well, and even then, like this term is going to be a very charged term. Uh, but if I say the word like the words biological sex, a lot of people use that as like conflating it with chromosomes. And I, I'm curious, is there a difference between what people would call, quote unquote, biological sex and chromosomal sex? I think there is a little bit of a distinction there. Mm. I mean, and, and actually, the World Health Organization kind of goes into this. I think they have a great way of describing it. Mm. So what a lot of people describe as biological sex, what I think they mean is sort of that like basic blueprint level of information that you get from your X and Y chromosome sort mm. of that blueprint template. However, there's also sex differentiation. You know, all those gender-related traits, they they don't exist in a, in a vacuum. Um, they're highly altered by development, right? So even if you have a functioning Y chromosome, if you don't have receptors for the hormones that will tell your body plan to develop those male gender-related characteristics, and just for clarity for our audience. Oh, sorry, yes. just for clarity for our audience, where when you're when you're saying like a male characteristics, it's more just like assigned male. Uh, generally speaking, what we would look at as assigned male, male. characteristics, right? Yep, characteristics, gender. Cool. Yep. Mm -hmm. Cool. So it's 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 not just what's in that blueprint. It's regulated hormonally. It's regulated over time. Anything genetic, it's regulated over time by the environment. Because I think when people look at DNA, and again, like I'm looking at this as someone who really did not pay attention in biology class, <laughs> uh, but I think we look at it as as a absolute fixed thing that is there, and it's always there. Does uh -huh. does like your like? I guess what I'm asking is, does your genetic <laughs> do your genes change or yeah? Or so those base pairs, that DNA itself does not change, but each one of those genes codes for a protein, essentially, right? Mm. And so there's something called gene expression where mm. how much of that protein and when can change over time. Mm. Okay. So there is like subtle, ch so like with everything, change can happen, but at the same time, there are some things that uh, sort of like, that stay relatively the same. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which is why you do see these very standard, you know, kind of templates. 
I think we're at a good time to take a quick break so that we can add a little advertisement. Uh, right. So when we when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about genes, chromosomes, and Ashley's going to try and get through her uh, high school biology. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. So a couple of things that we were talking about that I want to make sure that we're all really clear on. The, the first one is sort of the definition, because I approached the idea of, again, and this is a, not necessarily the best term, the idea of biological sex versus, say, chromosomal sex. Um, the term gender, especially in the scientific community, has been shifting and changing a lot lately as well. Like it, it could, because correct me if I'm wrong. Like, did it used to be sort of synonymous with sex for a while, yeah. or yeah, uh, has that been changing in the scientific community? Um, well, it definitely has been changing in the in the medical community for sure. Mm. And the health community, which has been great to see, honestly. One thing I wanted to bring up, mm. actually. I talked a little bit about different hormones and things affecting and gene expression. So I think in the scientific community, one thing that's kind of helping um, in that respect and helping shift this view, this binary view of the sex chromosomes is uh, the idea of epigenetics, which is areas of DNA separate from a, a certain gene or chromosome that, that regulate how often that particular gene is expressed. This is just an off-the-wall example, but there could be a small area on a different chromosome that's saying, hey, gene on the X chromosome, you're not going to be expressed as much. Mm. The other the other one that we wanted to get into was uh, this. You brought up the term microdeletions. Yes. And based on context, I kind of figured out what it meant, but at the same time, could you just kind of give us a definition yes. and tell us a little bit more about that? Basically, a microdeletion is a deletion of some DNA, but it's classified as a micro-deletion because it is a very, very small number of base pairs that are deleted, right? So mm. you wouldn't see it on a chromosomal, a typical chromosomal spread. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying, we kind of have these different views of DNA and chromosomes, so you would probably have to go in for a closer look, like base pair by base pair, so something like sequencing to find a micro-deletion as opposed to looking at a chromosome karyotype. And now, uh, like, and one other thing that you brought up to me while we were on break uh, was this this idea of, uh, and it kind of goes into this idea of like people fixate on XX and XY so much uh, that it's it's just one of those things where it's like this is absolute, and they sort of apply it to the animal world as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think there are two ways. In, <laughs> I think there are two ways in which these like sex chromosomes are not exactly fixed and one that i've kind of explained more in depth is just the idea that people have slightly different versions or extra copies or are missing copies of the, that x and that y my x might not be exactly the same as yours and mm. the really kind of cool thing about that is if it's in an area of dna that doesn't code for a, a protein that does something very visible we might never even know like mm. there's no way of telling I think it's it's neat to keep in mind that there are slightly different versions of those are the you know the standard human chromosomes, but also in the animal kingdom, some species have entirely different ways of handling that same genetic material. Mm. There are some species where you have Z and W mm. 
and not X and Y. And some species where there's there are more than two versions of that material. So you have three, four, five different possibilities. Like because I remember I, I looked at that that meme because I, I remember seeing that meme that you referenced to me. Uh, yeah. that like where it's just like, hey, a biologist here, and it's just like literally listed as many as they could think of. <laughs> yep. Yep. In your line of work, because you mentioned that you tested folks on their and correct me again if i'm using like wrong terms but you get that you tested chromosomes you tested people's chromosomes i mean basically yeah, so, so what i was looking for was one of the mm -hmm. so basically what i did was screening testing at kind of more of that chromosome level rather than mm -hmm. sequencing a lot of the time um so what i was looking for is what i did was called maternal serum screening and typically it's it's looking at different products, not usually on the sex chromosomes, but it's looking at like different proteins and different products to see if there might be a large chromosomal abnormality. Mm. So it's kind of like an early warning system and saying like, hey, you're making an awful lot of this, this protein in the maternal serum. We need to do further testing and actually look at that karyotype. Yeah. How often would you say that people get their chromosomes tested in general? Like, is this a thing that, like so this because it was for a specific need that you were specifically testing mm -hmm. yeah yeah so mm -hmm. i i honestly think I, I just started describing probably one of the most common reasons you mm. would get a karyotype or cytogenetic testing or sequencing is if you get an ultrasound or if you have your maternal blood serum tested and they see either something physically off on that ultrasound or something chemically off in that serum test. And then they would go from there and based on exactly what they're seeing, you know, they would order the appropriate test. There's kind of a hierarchy of tests because you want to do the least invasive things first mm. and, and the least costly. Yeah. So, no, and I, so that's I the most common scenario. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I imagine that getting uh, tested in such a way is also kind of, I mean, everything in the medical community is expensive. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I imagine it's also like a huge cost. I didn't prep you with this question asking you about costs, but I imagine <laughs> it's just a high cost because it's, a, it's in the medical field. <laughs> right. And there's a range. I mean, uh, genetic testing is more expensive than some other medical tests and less expensive than others. There are a lot of people who will try and say, particularly for trans people, uh, to get them tested and be like, oh, you know, that way, like, uh, you know, for sure or something. And again, that's conflating intersex and, inter and uh, various intersex characteristics with being trans. Yes, it is. Yeah, and so I just I wanted to state at least for me and for the the uh, for the podcast representing the podcast, a it's at the very least it's problematic, and at the height it can very much be a we don't want a test as much as a lot of people kind of feel like oh you know then you'll know for sure it's like no I know for sure because I know. Um, but yeah, and not everybody, you don't necessarily need to know as a trans person, whether you're trans, uh, you can still be figuring it out. That's totally fine. Uh, these are just things I wanted to make sure were stated and put into the ether. Uh, and should you want to get chromosomes tested, that is up to you. Hopefully it is not expensive and prohibitive, but forcing people, I feel, is a, a completely different issue. I'm actually kind of, 
I mean, I've only heard a little bit about this, so I'm, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit now. Sure. I'm kind of curious exactly what 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 they're hoping to find from the test. Just some sort of chromosomal characteristic that's not that typical XY combination, or what are they hoping to find? Yeah, well, I I can say particularly as a trans person, uh, when you're first coming out and you're first trying to understand your identity, especially for for me, if there was a biological reason why not standard for lack of mm-hmm. a better term not xx okay. or xy then it would be oh i have a reason and yeah more than anything else a intersex issues and trans issues are different issues but at the exact same time we are absolutely we should be supporting each other and mm-hmm. that is my hope but at the same time uh, like i say it's like okay then it's a different then it is something different that we can help one another out with <laughs> right um, okay that that helps clarify yeah from what i can gather it sounds like some people who are thinking about their identity are thinking they might want to know if there's something in that chromosomal test that yeah but like also I, I like think... a, have opponents like i don't even know how to phrase it <laughs> Yeah, well, well, yeah, because I think I think so much of it is when you are trying to figure out, especially because when I was growing up, trans didn't ex- trans existed, but trans right. wasn't made like the word wasn't in my lexicon, and so I would look for anything like what is the reason that I am me, yeah. and if there is a test, oh, that's great, I can find out. But the test isn't whether you're trans, the test is whether you have a chromosomal, uh, I don't wanna use the word abnormality, but like a chromosomal difference, a chromosomal variation, yeah. a chromosomal variation, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and again, that is a different, but totally valid thing. <laughs> it is. It's, it's interesting because thinking about it, I, I get how for some people that might that might be some form of an explanation or might be helpful, but it, it certainly is not exactly the same thing. <laughs> and it, it, it comes back to the whole thing that I stated at the beginning where you can be trans and intersex or you can mm-hmm. be intersex and not trans at all and or even have intersex characteristics and not be trans. But for a lot of trans people, they're looking for a specific answer. And the specific answer, unfortunately, for people that are looking for empirical, absolute data that they can pull up on a chart and say, look at this, look at this chart. It says 100% trans. Um, They're not going to find that because especially if we start regulating something like that, if we have something that says like, oh, here's a test, like here's a, here's a, like here's a fucking right. like. And that's what, I, that's what actually kind of scared me when you, when you first brought that up because yeah. it sounded like there were some, you know, trans rights legislation opponents uh, who, who were, you know, you need to prove that you qualify as. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and even then, like the history of trans uh the history of trans rights particularly in america but generally throughout uh a lot of the world has been we are trying to prove that we exist and then people saying like uh okay well you exist but only because you fit this criteria and (laughs) then saying to other people oh you don't fit all of the criteria and no or that being so subjective and having and i think again this is the trap that a lot of trans folk fall into when they're first trying to understand their identity or when people are trying to stand up for trans people and using intersex issues to do so is that idea of um oh well look this exists this is a thing that we can look at and it's just like these are different issues (laughs) but 
absolutely they're valid people they're valid issues they're just different there might be some overlap but yes yeah <laughs> like can there be overlap absolutely but we cannot just be using another person's or another group of people's uh we cannot be using another group of people to justify our own existence and we should all be supporting one another <laughs> Oh, I can definitely can agree on that. Yeah, no, thank you for letting me kind of... Uh, I got very emotional there, so thank you for letting me just kind of... For yeah, of course, well, th thank you for describing this in a little more detail <laughs> for me. <laughs> Back on to what we were talking about specifically. So we asked kind of how often people would generally get their chromosomes tested. like, And there are ways, or like in general, their genes tested. Like there are other ways that people get their genes tested right like like i'm trying to think like is the 23 and me 23 and me is that it like the no yeah that is that is one there are there are more and more kits mm. that remember if 23 and me is full genome mm. which i think it is and just a, a quick explanation for, for listeners <laughs> well everyone yeah. um whole genome means every chromosome all of your DNA, all of your genetic material is your genome. The whole genetic kit and caboodle. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there is increasing access to whole genome or extensive genetic testing that you can do. My one caveat there, of course, is safety and security. Mm. <laughs> so be sure to take that into consideration if you're considering any sort of testing like that. Now, what kind of now when you say safety and security? Uh, because I know I've heard a number of different things about like what these people are doing with your genetic information. Like what are, what are some possible things that sending your genes out to some random person well, <laughs> yeah. <you> mean, <laughs> or some <laughs> random organization, I guess would do like, what are the well, worries? <laughs> make sure you know where it's going. Number one, right. <laughs> make right. sure it isn't a random organization. <laughs> um, number, number two, make sure you know what they are doing with it. Mm. So, like you kind of alluded to, how are they storing it? How long are they storing it? How much of it do they have? Can they give it to other people? Make sure you know the answers to all of those questions. And also, and I, I think this is extremely, extremely important, make sure you, you understand what they're telling you if, if you do get, if and when you do, you do get results. Because like I've tried to describe, there are kind of many different levels to look at when you are looking at the at the genome and there are genes that affect other genes and all sorts of things so just make sure you understand the explanations that you're given especially on you know what kind of functional practical what does this mean for me and how I'm my health level so now let's say hypothetically i'm a person let's call me bashley <laughs> And Bashley sends her genetic information to someone and she doesn't care. It's just like, oh, yeah, they need it. So sure. Like, what are the potential dangers? What are the things that they could do with that information? Oh, that is a <laughs> Other than a cloning I... into a dinosaur. I mean, cloning well, Bashley into a dinosaur. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's going to be cloning Bashley into a dinosaur. Okay. Um, but that that's part of it they will have a physical sample of your dna no one's probably running an illicit cloning ring <laughs> <laughs> not yet 
but you don't you don't exactly know. I mean, yeah, it it is possible that internally they might use it to develop other tests. So there's a whole you know range, and yeah. there are regulations of uh, you know around how long you're supposed to keep specimens as well. But that's something to think about because new tests might come up. Yeah. Um. So there's that, and there's also. I think legislation is getting slightly better, or it has in the recent past gotten slightly better at protections around this, but you have to be very careful if you find out that you have something like, for example, say you're a, you find out you have Huntington's what um, is, what is Huntington's? or something like Huntington's is a genetic disease, kind of a degenerative disease, but it doesn't, you don't see symptoms until you're over a certain age, typically. So if you if you see that, you know, this disease course is in your future, that's going to be, and this is used as an example a lot. <laughs> you know, now you have this information, it's kind of a bombshell, right? You know that you're mm. probably going to get, if you get a certain result, you know you're going to get sick in the mm. future. What does that mean for your employment? What does that mean for your life planning? <laughs> mm. And especially in America, where if you have a pre-existing condition, what does yep. that mean for your health insurance? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Whew. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Mm. All right. So it's about time to start uh, winding down. Is there anything that you didn't get to talk about that you really want to make sure our listeners know? Uh, or that we just sort of, yeah. Like, what is there anything else? I would just say, ask questions, seek out information cross-check sources if you're really interested in looking into this stuff. I mean, our understanding of it changes. It's a pretty quick-changing field. Mm. Yeah, just find resources and stay well-informed. Awesome. So how we normally end the podcast is to ask whether something is transphobic and whether it is enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> this, this is going to be fascinating. So chromosomes, are they transphobic? <laughs> <laughs> this could be a one to ten scale. This could be a noise. This could be however you choose to describe it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, inherently, no. I think it depends on how they're used. I think they can be. Mm. They, if utilized a certain way, if they're if they're stopping someone from fully exploring their trans identity that may be a little bit like low end of the scale but on their own no but it, but a chromosome itself is just not transphobic because <laughs> yes. it doesn't really care about your gender it's just showing up and doing its thing right there we go <laughs> that's my answer uh no no chromosomes are not in themselves transphobic but people are transphobic and they'll try and use chromosomes as a way to be both anti-intersex as well as anti-trans there you go uh now are they enjoyable would you say that chromosomes are enjoyable? Yes, I would, because I, I like being a functional living being. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's hard to it's hard to argue with that. It is. That's 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 a hell of a yeah. That's a hell of a point. <laughs> I like being a, a, a living being. Yes. 
<laughs> Amazing. So uh, tell people how they can follow you if you want them to follow you, whether that's on social media. If you don't want people to follow you, that's totally fine, too. Uh, or any other work that you're doing that you'd like to promote. Well, sadly, I'm not on Twitter. Otherwise, I would I would mention that. Um, do you actually have an email for the podcast? Because I would be happy to answer questions or talk further. But I think that might be the easiest way. Yeah, actually, uh, the podcast email is isittransphobic at gmail.com. Uh, so, so people can email me and we can uh, figure out a way to set things up. Uh, yeah. We might even be able to figure out something for future shows because I think this is like, there's no way we have done anything other than scratch the surface. And even then, it's just like, but yeah, if y'all want to, if y'all have more questions, I'm sure you do. I know I do. Um, feel free to email us at isittransphobic at gmail.com. Uh, and we can work with Hillary to try and figure out a way to get those answers. Either, yeah, we'll, we'll figure something out. But yeah, uh, you can also just tweet at us at isittransphobic on Twitter. Uh, you can also find us at bit.ly slash isittransphobic to visit our website. Uh, and also, hey, we've got a Patreon. Yay, Patreon. Yay. Uh, I am so bad at doing Patreon, but I love everyone who is supporting me. So thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do this without you. Yay, love you. Uh, and yeah, for me, uh, I you can find me at ashleylaurenrogers.com. Thank you so much for joining me, Hillary. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yay. Yay. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionroars.github.io. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com.